coming at you from the We Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 41 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, and I'm joined this week by my co-hosts, Kevin Cook, Jeremy Paxton, and Laura Sazano. And as you can hear by the music, the NFL Draft was held this past week in Chicago, and we're going to discuss that in a moment with Matt Weston of Battle Red Blog and Sean Pendergrass of Sports Radio 610. Also, we have a great interview with musical guest Daniel Eyes and the Vibes out of Austin, Texas, and they'll be performing with our friends Second Lovers on Thursday night in Houston at the Nightingale Room. But before we get started... How was the week for you all? Well, it was an exciting week uh, because obviously we had some uh, some NFL draft going on, which meant that some Houston Cougars were taken in the draft. That was obviously a watershed moment for us. So Landon Roberts, Demarcus Ayers, William Jackson, the third was a first round pick. That's pretty impressive stuff and uh, actually got us a chance to sit down and talk with Tom Herman about those prospects and about his role in the NFL network. I think we'll drop that audio in in a bit. But suffice it to say, I was uh, fired up this week and I think that everybody in Houston has great reason to be fired up, both with the Cougars making it on professional level and uh, incoming professional talent here with the Houston Texans. Yeah, definitely an exciting week. And uh, Jeremy, tell us about yours. What happened? Well, I had a great week. Loved watching the draft scene. Um, quite a few Baylor players actually go uh, to the Browns and Bengals, kind of the Northeast area, except for the Dolphins and the Cowboys. Um, I was really pleased to see um, a Baylor basketball player get picked up, a guy that hasn't played a down since, what, middle school? Yes. And Rico Gathers getting picked up. Um, pretty amazing that uh, Baylor basketball is matched with the Texas Longhorns for uh, NFL draft picks. Yeah, not only that, but former Baylor baseball player, former catcher, actually, uh, Jimmy Landis, who was a deep snapper for the football team, uh, was drafted as well in the sixth round. And so Baylor basketball and Baylor baseball actually had more draft picks than Charlie Strong and the University of Texas. Also, the Baylor baseball team itself had more draft picks than the University of Tennessee. So, uh, you know, SEC power, I, I, I don't know. I think it's a great recruiting tool for Steve Rodriguez for Baylor baseball. Scott Drew at, uh, you know, Baylor basketball saying, hey, if you don't make it in the NBA or, you know, Major League Baseball, we can send you to the NFL. I'm sorry. I'm just relishing this moment, thinking about the Longhorns listening to this podcast right now. I don't think Longhorns listen to the podcast if I know anything about our listeners. <laughs> it's uh, Froda is the term that I think I'm looking for. But uh, Dolores, uh, tell us about your week. How was it? Uh, I had a great week as well. I had the pleasure of going to the Texans draft party, so it was great to be there. Kind of disappointed that Corey Coleman is not going to be with us at the, Tex- at the Texans. Um, and I had a pretty great great week with my track team. I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I'm a track coach at Duchenne Academy and we had nine girls make it to state and state is at Baylor. So great things happen at Baylor. Sick and bears. Unfortunately, not all great things have happened at Baylor in the last few months, but uh, hopefully you can actually turn that around and uh, bring home some state championships. That'd be pretty cool, but uh, best of luck to your girls in the track team. But I'm going to brag a little bit. I had a pretty cool week. I mean, I was actually up in New York City for the uh, Road to Rio, uh, 100 Days Out ceremony for the Olympics and Paralympics, and I got to meet some really cool people. I was definitely, like, bragging about it on Facebook. Got to meet Kimberly Perry from the band Perry. Definitely awesome picture that I took with her. Definitely proud of that. Also got to meet Carl Lewis. Uh, He actually... uh, 
approached me. Um, he was he was speaking with uh, one of my, uh, I guess, bosses at our company, and we were talking about the podcast. And so I told him that we were like U of H based. Talked a little bit about the uh, you know the new facility upgrades. He was very excited about the uh, the prospects of the track team. Uh, he's got a few that are going to be heading to the Olympics, representing different countries. So great guy. He was definitely enjoying his dessert. We spoke for about ten minutes, but uh, took a picture with him. But it was just so cool to be up there in Times Square for the ceremony. Uh, Michelle Obama was even there. So it was definitely kind of a a unique week for me and something that I haven't experienced much in the past. She brought the security and the security was absolutely insane. We had to get there like, I don't know, probably about two and a half hours before the event even started just to check our like cameras and bags. But when she left, security was a joke. But uh, I'll tell you what, uh, one thing about New York City is, uh, you know, I guess they, they were somewhat known for their desserts and pastries, but I went to, a, you know, a few bakeries in Times Square and I was just like disappointed. I was like, you know, it, it doesn't taste like home. It doesn't taste like we desserts. And I don't know. It, it was just overall disappointing for me. Yeah, nothing tastes like Wee Desserts. Um, actually, even when people attempt to copy Wee Desserts, it doesn't taste like them. So I'm going to out some people here. I've been involved in some drama that's occurred in the baking industry in this town. Uh, if you don't know, Wee Desserts, OUI Desserts on 3411 Kirby, has the best pastries and desserts in the city of Houston, maybe in the state of Texas, possibly the world. We're not entirely sure. But Ruggles uh, is evidently some sort of competing company. They have stolen uh, a chocolate Nutella cake that Penny and Jen have made a special. They've attempted to rip it off and pass it off as their own. And I just wanted to out them and let people know that Ruggles is a thieving, thieving organization. You should not patronize them. But the people you should patronize are the people we love and uh, and who support the show, sponsors of the show. We Desserts at 3411 Kirby. And they have some uh, have some things to read here. Um, this is a great library I'm doing. Uh, mini Cupcakes. I don't know. Are you guys into Mini Cupcakes? Who isn't? I think the advantage of mini cupcakes is that you can eat fistfuls of them and it barely feels like you're eating anything because it's not like one large thing. It's like many small things. It's like popcorn for snacks. But they had these mini cupcakes, s'mores, red velvet, vanilla, chocolate Nutella, uh, and saffron guava. I have no idea what a saffron guava is, but it is supposed to be delicious. It's 3411 Kirby. Uh, ask for Penny and Jen and tell them that the guys from the Weekly Brew. Guys and, uh, what do we say? The people from the Weekly Brew? How do I how do I make this gender inclusive? And the finesse queen. The finesse queen. Okay, tell them, yeah, it's Start referring to Dolores as the finesse queen because that's very natural and rolls right off the tongue. But um, anyway, tell them that the Weekly Brew cast sent you by and you'll get 10% off of your order of anything you choose in the store. There's beignets, there's coffees, there's all kinds of delicious things. There's free internet. You can sit there and look at whatever you want to look at on the internet that's not, you know... You know, don't do anything terrible now. Don't do anything bad. There's children in the bakery. It's a family-friendly environment. But you can use the internet for any reasonable purposes, uh, and you can certainly do that while drinking some coffee and eating some snacks. So go visit We Desserts this week. Yeah, tell Penny and Jen that everyone at the Weekly Brewcast sent you by, and uh, you'll get 10% off of your order. That's, again, 3411 Kirby here in Houston, Texas. And speaking of Weekly Brewcast, we definitely want you to follow our work on social media. You can search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Also, we post all of our content Monday morning morning at weeklybrewcast.com and we also each week suggest that you go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review give us some comments and feedback and tell us what you like and any you know sort of segment ideas that you would like to hear and uh, this past week uh, we actually had another five-star review and Kevin will get into that at the end of the show but uh, a few minutes ago Kevin alluded to uh, speaking with Tom Herman and as we mentioned this is going to be uh, an episode that is very focused on the NFL draft and uh, Kevin when you spoke with Tom Herman before the NFL draft uh, he spoke about a few of the prospects 
prospects that ended up being drafted. What were some of the comments and, uh, you know, vibes that he had about those athletes? Well, William Jackson III, ultimately the 24th pick of the draft going to the Bengals, uh, was certainly part of the discussion, as was Landon Roberts, uh, who ended up going to the Patriots. Uh, that's just a great organization. I think he'll be very happy there. And certainly by his tweets, he seemed to be very happy there. That was uh, 39th pick of the sixth round. And uh, then you have DeMarcus Ayers, who went to the Steelers, was not necessarily in discussion, but certainly glad to see a Cougar go there as well. But uh, Herman, of course, was on the NFL Network. He's one of the five coaches selected to be part of that program, um, which is kind of a great honor. And so he met with the media and talked with us about um, the experience of watching his players develop, become professional guys. Obviously came from Ohio State. There were some Ohio State guys that were drafted as well. He's close to all of them. And uh, he uh, he was uh, reflecting on the experience of helping these guys develop and, and become pro prospects, which is something that he takes great pride in. So we do have some audio, and I will, uh, I will endeavor to drop that in here. To have a potential first rounder if not you know high second round draft pick uh wearing u of h walking across the stage and he's a guy that that has been through your program and um kind of knows your way of doing things and and our way of doing things helped him get to where he's gotten to this point yeah it it, it means a lot and uh and then he landed is i mean it's not even close he's not even he's not even the same he wasn't the same player in training camp that he was on spring ball, spring ball, he was just a stiff guy that we were hoping one of the young signees could could come in and and replace. And uh, he's a he's a self-made man. He lived uh, in those four months from spring practice to, to August in the training room, in the in the weight room, stretching, mobility, treatment, yoga, you name it. And uh, he came out in uh, training camp a, a different guy and. And uh, obviously the results showed on the field. You, you knew William had it in him, and it, it was our job as, as coaches to develop it and get it out of them. And uh, with Elandon, I wasn't sure it even was in him. I knew he was a great leader, and I knew he liked to hit people. That was about it. And uh, uh, he turned himself into a, a really, really, really good football player. And I say that. I, I, nobody does it alone. Uh, Coach McKnight and his staff had a great uh, – part in that and so did Todd Orlando in, in developing him so different kind of special but but certainly one that 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 warms your heart to see him progress in in less than than 12 months time into what he's he's turned himself into and so that's Tom Herman uh, coach of the University of Houston Cougar football team um, who's just developing a great reputation as being a guy who can get you to the pros which is I'm sure useful on the recruiting trail and obviously with the recruiting uh, class brought in this year I think we're seeing that begin to pay off and, and it's only going to pay off more having these guys taken in the draft yeah and I think it also helps him that he was at Ohio State before and they had 16 guys drafted including uh, Braxton Miller who was taken in the third round by the Houston Texans we'll get into that in just a minute but as as we alluded to earlier, this is a very heavy episode in terms of the NFL draft. We're going to talk Texans. Also, you know, everything from uh, Laramie Tunzel to uh, Sean or uh, to Andrew Billings at Baylor. And I think it's just a great episode. But we have a packed show on deck today. We've got Matt Wesson, a Battle Red blog, Sean Pendergast, Sports Radio 610, and a special musical guest, Daniel Eyes, the vibes out of Austin, Texas. But as always, we encourage you to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Our next guest on the Weekly Brew is one that we're quite excited about. That's Sean Pendergast, who is the host of the Triple Threat on Sports Radio 610 and a five-time winner of the Jim Rome Smack-Off. Sean, after spending the weekend at NRG Stadium covering the draft, how are you doing this week? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm glad it's over, but I'm doing, uh, I'm doing good. It's one of my favorite weekends of the year. Um, I, always, I look forward to Thursday night, day one of the draft, like it's uh, – like it's Christmas, so it's a it's a cool but very very long weekend. So I appreciate you guys 
uh, I'm excited to be on with you guys. Yeah, and I mean, for those that don't know, I mean, you're on the radio with, uh, you know, John Harris, Mark Vandermeer, just covering the entire NFL draft and, and the Texans starting on Thursday, going through Saturday. What is that like in terms of, uh, you know, the atmosphere for you there in the studio, just analyzing all of these draft picks as they come in? What is Take us through that real quick. Yeah, it's um, – well, I do – I usually do day three with those guys. So um, – because because uh, I'm I'm on the air doing my regular show on Thursday and Friday right up until the, the draft starts so um, day you know day one there's so much time in between picks because the, the you know the, it's they're the most important players it's very methodical um, doing day three is an interesting vibe because the picks come so fast and furious um, you know I think there's only two minutes in between picks on Saturday so uh, yesterday it was me and John Harris and actually Ted Johnson doing day three of the draft and um it's you know it you're kind of tracking the picks as they go you know the, you're starting to get into names that the average listener doesn't really know or even care to know quite honestly um so you know you're just you're trying to track what the texans are doing what they might be doing you're doing a lot of retrospective and looking back over the previous two days Unfortunately, this was a draft this year that was full of full of storylines you know i mean with the uh, with some of the quarterbacks who, who dropped to the third day, like Connor Cook. But, you know, obviously the biggest storyline nationally was Laramie Tunsil and his whole Twitter and Instagram, Peccadillo, someone hacking into his account. And it was just like – it was like something off of Ballers, man. Like the fact that he wound up with the Miami Dolphins might be the most appropriate thing <laughs> of, of, of that whole thing. But I was, I was joking around on, on Friday. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you know who's got the easiest job in the world – is whoever has to write ballers every season because all you have to do is just follow the NFL. Like the NFL, right? They, they like the NFL does the job of that person. Like the stories, like some of the stuff is just, it's just so unbelievable and crazy. But um, you know, just circling back to your original question, it, it's it's um, it's a lot of fun. Thankfully, this year the Texans actually had a few picks early on on day three you remember last year they like emptied their picks to move up to get Jalen Strong and Bernardrick McKinney so we were like four or five hours without any Texans picks which is brutal but uh it was a lot of fun we went offense with the first three four picks there and so Brock Osweiler is the x factor and they've got a lot of weapons that they're putting around him here I'm wondering are we going to see these guys make an impact on the field and are they going to make DeAndre Hopkins even more effective this season I think DeAndre Hopkins thinks so. If you uh, if you saw his tweet after they took Braxton Miller uh, on uh, on Friday night, he tweeted, "No more double teams this year." Something to that effect. Like it was just a very simple tweet about how he's not going to be. I think he'll still see some double teams. He's one of the top five wide receivers in the league. Um, but yeah, there's there's no excuses for Brock Osweiler. I mean, they they went out and uh, you know they got him a. They got him a game-breaking running back with Lamar Miller in free agency. They replaced Brandon Brooks with Jeff Allen, who might be an upgrade at guard. They drafted a center for him in the second round, and they went and got him a couple, really three game-breaking kind of guys. Obviously, Fuller with that first pick, Braxton Miller in the third round, and uh, and Tyler Irvin in the fourth round out of San Jose State, who I think is probably going to do some stuff in their return game too. So, um, you know, uh, we talked to Bill O'Brien yesterday after – uh, on the draft show, after the draft, uh, the Texans were done picking in the fifth round. He came and sat with us for a little bit, and I asked him just, "What does this, you know, what does this draft do for you as far as the playbook goes?" And and he was very clear. He said, "Man, this this just 
this avails us to so much more. When you've got, you know, when you've got to defend the entire field, that's what the Texans didn't really have last year, especially once injuries started to hit in the backfield, and you're trying to cobble things together with Alfred Blue and Jonathan Grimes, who are, you know, try-hard guys, but um, they didn't have anybody on that team that defenses had to respect beyond, you know, the box, beyond like 10, 15 yards down the field. You know, DeAndre Hopkins, yes, I suppose, but that's not really his strength. Now they've got guys where not only do their physical skills dictate you've got to defend the entire football field, but a guy like Braxton Miller, like his physical skills, like his ability to to run some, you know, O'Brien talked about that, like running some wildcat, although he said, Probably not as much of it as they did last year because you got Brock Osweiler now. But just they're clearly very excited about what this does to their playbook, this draft. Now, Sean, a few weeks ago uh, during NFL free agency, we had John McClain on, and he spoke very highly of Jacksonville and Tennessee and kind of what they were doing and the moves they were making. If there are two teams that I was very impressed with in this draft class, it was the Titans and the Jaguars. What does this do in terms of competition and just making the AFC South more competitive, not only this year, but in years down the road? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. I, I, that's something I've been saying since even before free agency in the draft. It's just, you know, like eventually uh, Jacksonville, all three of the, the other teams in the AFC South, um, you know, Andrew Luck in Indianapolis and Blake Bortles in Jacksonville and uh, Marcus Mariota in Tennessee, before free agency, you know, the Texans didn't – they were the only team in the division that didn't have a solution they felt good about at quarterback. And we don't, still don't even really know with Osweiler. You know, like if you, were, if you were drafting quarterbacks out of the AFC South and you were other teams around the league, Osweiler would still probably be the last of those four to get picked. So we don't know we have an Osweiler. Um, but, that, yeah, so along those lines, that's something I've been saying since even before free agency in the draft is that eventually Jacksonville and Tennessee – just through, I mean, I, honestly, just because one of the teams is going to stumble into being good at some point, you get so many top five picks, and, and if you get it right at quarterback, you're going to automatically get better. The Texans can't count on going 4-0 and against those two teams forever. Um, and I think Jacksonville, you know, if I had to rank the off-seasons that concern me among the other three AFC teams, it would definitely be Jacksonville. You know, they get back Dante Fowler, who they picked with the top five pick last year. They had Jalen Ramsey fall with the fifth pick this year. They signed Malik Jackson. Um, they did some other good things defensively. You know, Sheldon Day, who they got in the fourth round out of Notre Dame, is a guy who I've watched a lot just because I, I watch a lot of Notre Dame football. They, they've got a lot of – they short up defense uh, pretty well through free agency in the draft. they got a lot of good players. Um, so I think they're – you know, they've got a chance. As long as Bortles takes the next step, they've got a chance to do things. Tennessee is interesting because they had so many picks, you know, through the, uh, through the trade with the Rams. I'm not quite sure how Derrick Henry fits into the whole thing with DeMarco Murray. You know, they're kind of – they've got a lot of players that are – like I thought when they were moving back up to eight, I thought they were doing it to go get Tunsil, which would have been interesting because that's who they wanted with the first overall pick when they had it. But they took uh, the Conklin kid out of Michigan State. So we'll see how that works out. And then the Colts actually drafted offensive linemen this year, which is weird. It's almost like they had Ryan Grigson sequestered in a closet somewhere, duct taped, you know, with his list of speed receivers in front of him, and they wouldn't let him pick. They actually got offensive linemen to try to protect Andrew Luck. So I think, I think they did good things, but I think in those other cities, 
on podcasts like this and shows like we were doing yesterday, they're probably looking at the Texans saying the same thing, which is, wow, look, the Texans got a lot faster. So I think the AFC South as a whole, you know, if we're doing stock up, stock down, probably has like the nice little green arrow pointing up to it. <laughs> So Laramie Tunsil is one of the more interesting uh, stories of this draft. And certainly I think we all saw that video that came out of him smoking from a gas mask in front of the Ole Miss flag. And it, we were scratching our heads, picturing how does this happen? It clingers on its own stand to benefit if he loses money. Who's doing this to him and who benefits from that kind of a hack or prank? Yeah, it just it's whoever put that up. First of all, that gas mask thing was inspired, man. Like that was like, uh, I've, I've never seen anything like that before. That was quite the contraption he had on his face. Um, that, uh, I don't know, man, like someone like really, really evil, <laughs> you know, like this is like you, you know, we interviewed the kids yesterday after they got picked by the Texans, the fourth, fifth, uh, the, the fourth rounder and the two fifth rounders. And like the one thing you come away with after talking to these kids is, man, they only get to do this once. Like you only, get to get drafted into the NFL one time ever, you know, like it's, it's truly for these guys, a once in a lifetime experience. And I don't know Laramie Tunsil. Like, I, honestly, like the only, the only stuff I know of him is he's good at football and the interviews that we saw on Thursday night, uh, you know, he seems like a really nice kid. Like he seems very naive, but he seems like a, a nice kid who I thought handled that night about as, I mean, it was, there's no blueprint for handling a night like that. I thought he handled it overall. You know, pretty. I, I thought he handled it pretty well. Um, it's just like that someone would, in their hearts, want to take like something that that kid's only ever going to experience one time, and ruin it. You know, ruin it by doing something that's illegal. Quite frankly, I mean, there he's hacking into there, people hacking into his social media account, and I, I don't know what his password is. Like his, I his, like that, that was the first thing that popped into my head. Like, God, is this kid's password like one two three four or password? <laughs> You know, like it's like his Twitter account gets hacked right before the draft, and then he's getting ready to go do the interview, and his Instagram account gets hacked. I'm like, dude, you better, you need to mix in like a capital letter or something, man, or like a number. Like, <laughs> so, um, but uh, I just I I felt bad for him. I you know, like I, to your point, like to your point about you know money, like someone whoever would do this if it's someone who's trying to benefit financially why would you hurt him financially you know at the end of the day he's still going to make a lot of money he lost a lot of money he probably lost you know dropping from the top five down to 13 he probably lost in guaranteed money probably eight to ten million bucks so i i I don't know like i don't like i don't know how a person like that thinks i can't i um i i can't get into their their minds i just know that it's like one of the most evil things i can think of doing to somebody uh, that has a high profile like that. In addition to Tunzel, it seemed like that there were other talented players that, that fell in the draft. I mean, I look at uh, Miles Jack from UCLA, who had a standout career. Felt He had some injury issues this year. Uh, and then Andrew Billings, a guy from Baylor, who many projected would be uh, you know, a late first-round pick, early second round, falling to the fourth round. And then you had guys like Eric Stryker, who fell out, or Scooby Wright, who was uh, taken late in the seventh round. What do you make about some of these great college prospects that fall like almost unexplicably in the draft. Yeah, I, it, you know, I think it happens. Well, it happens every year. So, like, it's the, you know, like, the, these are just, like, the names you just rattled off are all appropriate names to kind of mix into the conversation on this topic. But it's almost like Mad Lips. Like, there will be, you know, there will be, like, 12 more guys next year who we say the same thing about. So, I think, I think like, sometimes 
you know, guys like Scooby Wright that fall into the seventh round, like he had injury issues. Um, you know, there's always quarterbacks that fall because it's a very specific need for teams. Although Connor Cook's fall this year was interesting just because I think a lot of people, like the, the rumor about him was it's just like a lot of people think he's a jerk. But um, so there, there's always little wrinkles like that. And Miles Jack, and, and I'll throw Jalen Smith of Notre Dame in, in, in there too. I mean, they obviously had catastrophic knee injuries that drove both of them down to the, to the top of the second round. You know what I think it is, though, like with a lot of these guys that fall, you know, like Billings, um, you know, the, the bunch, of, bunch of the Alabama kids fell into the second round, right? Like there were supposed to be like three or four Alabama kids taken in the first round, and only one, the uh, Ryan Kelly, the center, was taken by the Colts, and that was it. You know what I think happens sometimes is we all get so swept up in reading all these report cards and mock drafts and big boards and all these other things before the draft that we read so many of them. And they're all different. You know, they're, they're, a lot of the players that the, the, that the guys, the quote-unquote experts, have ranked highly are the same. But there's always, like, you know, a little variation. Like, you know, they all have, like, five or six different guys than the other guys do. So, so what happens is we all wind up reading these different rankings and mock drafts and things like that. And at the end of the day, we've all got, like, all of a sudden we don't even realize that we've got like 50 people that we think are going to be picked in the first round. You know what I mean? And so when the 10 or 12 drop out of the first round that some of the pundits had in the first round, we're all like, Ooh, what happened to that kid? Ooh, you know, like there's only, there's only this year, there's only 31 kids that can get picked in the first round. So that's why I always think it's funny. Like, ah, I got a first round grade on this kid. Well, it's like, okay, well, you've got a first round grade on 38 kids. You're going to be wrong on like seven of them, you know? So, um, so I, I think, honestly, I think some of it is just the, the ludicrousness, if you will, of the whole evaluation process. Like at the end of the day, the whole thing is a crapshoot, right? I mean, the whole thing, um, like we, none of us know, not even the experts know, you know, you, you're making educated guesses, but, I think that's what it is. Like when we see people fall, it's not even like anything that's, it's not even anything they did. It's that the, you know, a lot of these guys were probably graded highly by some, not so highly by others. And at the end of the day, the team's picking towards the back end of the first round chose to go in a different direction. A lot of mock drafts had Corey Coleman going to the Texans and the Texans had a very heavy presence at Baylor's pro day where Corey Coleman displayed his 4.37 speed. What are your thoughts on Corey and Coleman going to the Cleveland Browns and joining RG3 there? I thought he looked like he got selected for the Hunger Games when he got picked by the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't look happy. Yeah, he did not look happy. <laughs> he did not look happy. No, he he he, uh, he 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 put a good face on, but I'm like, oh, that dude realizes. I can tell. Like that's a smart kid. He knows what just happened to him. He knows he just got picked for really bad things. Um, I, I, I say that somewhat jokingly. I think he's a good football player. And I think RG3 is actually not a bad solution for Cleveland, although I'm still curious about how they address quarterback in the draft. But that's another topic. Um, I, I like Coleman. Uh, you know, I, I think he's obviously game-breaking speed, good in the return game. So he's a guy that you know, you know, even if he's not picking up the nuances of an NFL offense right away, that he can impact the game in some ways. Uh, in the return game if they choose to put him out there that way. You know, the question with a lot of these Baylor kids, I think, is just that the the offense that they play at Baylor is so is so unlike the NFL. You know, like it's so it's so different. 
which is what that's what's made it so strange with RG3 is that like the one year he had that was a good year was his rookie year. You know, like if anything, you would have thought that the transition to the NFL would have been hard. The transition to the NFL was easy. It was it was being an NFL player and staying healthy that was hard for him. Um, so, you know, we'll see how Coleman, you know, Hugh Jackson's a really good offensive coach. Um, so I think he's going to you know figure out good ways to use Corey Coleman. You know, I know you mentioned that the Texans, a lot of the mock drafts had the Texans taking Corey Coleman. I'm sure they liked Corey Coleman. I don't know if they liked him uh, better than Fuller. We'll never know if they liked him better than, than Will Fuller. But obviously the Texans weren't afraid to, to maneuver in this draft and move up if they needed to. They moved up a spot to get Fuller. They moved up two spots to get to get uh, Nick Martin in the uh, in the second round. Um, I would, you know, if they liked Coleman enough, it would have been interesting to see what the price would have been to move up ahead of Cleveland and get him. But um, you know, they clearly felt that there were, you know, they they obviously had a real affinity for Fuller as well. Just you know, giving up a pick to move up just one spot to get him. So we'll see how it goes. And um, you know. Coleman and RG3 and a lot of those guys are paddling upstream in Cleveland right now. Sean, let me ask you, just talking about the Browns um, with, you know, with these picks and RG3 on the team, they sort of have a, a Baylor-centric roster. Do you think that this gives RG3 more of a chance to shine in Cleveland, or do you think that we're going to see more of the same out of him? You know, like, that, but that's the million-dollar question with him. I, I, I have faith in Hugh Jackson as a coach. Like, that's the only thing that's giving me faith in that any quarterback in Cleveland is going to work out just because it's been such a, it's been such a death spot for Cleveland for quarterbacks. I mean, (laughs) literally they've had two dozen starting quarterbacks since they came back into the league. They've had had 24 different starting quarterbacks since Cleveland reprised its franchise back in 1999. So it's like, I always joke, like they need the, this is like, I'm totally going to date myself with this joke, but like there's an episode of the Brady Bunch back in the day where there was like a little, (laughs) Tiki statue that, that they got in Hawaii that was bad luck. And everybody talks about, like, building a statue for so-and-so outside the stadium. And I've always said, like, Cleveland should just build a statue of that Tiki statue in the Brady Cooper <laughs> just put the Maloika on everybody. Like, that's what it's been like for quarterbacks in, uh, in Cleveland. So, assuming we put karma and mojo and things like that aside and just look at this from a purely technical standpoint, um, I think Hugh Jackson is going to be good for Robert Griffin III. I think Robert Griffin III would have been a good solution in a lot of places. This off, I may mean, say a lot of places. Most of the teams are settled on their quarterback. But like you know, I know that I think I think it would have been a good solution in Denver with Gary Kubiak. Quite honestly, uh, I you know it would have been interesting to see what a guy like Chip Kelly would have done with him in San Francisco. Like I think I you know I just can't discount the way that Robert Griffin III played as a rookie. Uh, in the league and just cast that aside, I think a lot of his issues were certainly health, certainly maturation, uh, you know, getting, you know, being a pro, but I thought he handled his year in Washington really well this year. Like considering that he, you know, he basically got thrown down to third string and, and, you know, he, you didn't hear a peep out of him. Like I thought he handled things pretty well. So um, I like of all the places to go, I, you know, this, Cleveland, it's it's going to give him a chance to play because I think he's going to start, and he's going to be playing with a he's going to be playing with a, um, a a really good offensive coach, and they took like they took like seven wide receivers in the draft, like no joke. So clearly they're cycling through trying to find some weapons for him as well. So um, you know, it, 
the odds of him coming back and being what he was before are just there. You know, the odds are against it just because it's the NFL. There's only like 12 good quarterbacks on the face of the earth, and it's a zero-sum game. But I think he's put himself in a position to at least get the reps with a good coach to put himself back in the conversation. Sean, we definitely appreciate you joining us on the Weekly Brew Podcast this week, talking everything from Texans to Laramie Tunzel to RG3, and uh, we definitely appreciate it. And, you know, for those that are interested in following your work, whether it be on social media or on Sports Radio 610, how can they find you? Yeah, uh, well, I'm on uh, Sports Radio 610 2 to 7, uh, weekdays, Monday through Friday on the Triple Threat. And um, I do a lot of writing for the Houston Press as well on HoustonPress.com. And links to all of those things are constantly tweeted out on my Twitter account at Sean T. Pendergast, S-E-A-N, the letter T, Pendergast. And I'm on, I got a Facebook page too, so you can find me out there. All right, Sean, we definitely appreciate it. And uh, great stuff today. We appreciate it. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. As mentioned at the top of the show, we're dedicating most of episode 41 to the Texans and the NFL draft this week. And there's no one better to welcome to The Weekly Brew than Matt Weston, Battle Red blog of the SB Nation Network. Matt, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. How about you? Uh, Not too bad. And, you know, Rick Smith has kind of taken a lot of heat the last few years for, you know, some lack of moves in free agency for not necessarily hitting on the NFL draft. Uh, but this year, it seems like the Texans, they met the needs that they needed in the earlier rounds. If you're assessing a grade on Rick Smith and how he handled this draft class, wh- where would you rank it? Uh, I mean, I think for Rick Smith, he's done a good job in still every draft, especially in the first round picks. But it's kind of the dichotomy here with this team is really top heavy of talent. And whenever it comes to depth and those sort of situations, they have issues. And it seems like this draft's kind of the opposite of the ones before, where the second and third round picks may actually end up being better than the first round pick. And we're used to seeing the opposite way, where you assume the whole in the first round picks, and then your rounds like two through five, you probably won't get very much. And here and there, you know, Glover Quinn shows up or Derek Union, but most of the time it's a first round guy, not a whole lot in the second, you know, second through uh, rounds two through five. So I guess I assign Gray probably a B. I just, uh, I think there are better receivers available than Will Fuller. But that being said, I'm, you know, I started watching some film on Nick Martin. And, I mean, even just looking at some of the charting numbers they, they showed where he's a you know, really good pass blocker. He extends his arms very well. Uh, he's you know, really smart. He knows which ways to kick slide. And if you see him kind of give up a sack, it's usually the quarterback holding on to the ball too long. I know pro football focus grades him with zero sacks allowed, zero quarterback hits allowed last year, and just five quarterback curries. And, I mean, I think the biggest issue he has is mostly just the lack of strength that you just kind of assume for guys who are 22 years old, if he gets stronger, it will help him be a better run blocker. He doesn't really kind of push guys that well. And I think in Braxton Miller, I mean, that guy just makes guys miss. And when was the last time you've seen some of Houston Texans break a tackle? And, I mean, I really can't remember it all. I've been maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick two years ago. And so I think with those two guys, you're going to have you know, some really good uh, – you have a high upside of Miller, and you have kind of like a solid center he can plug in and play and Martin, but other than that, it's kind of a general boy, Wayne see the other, you know, four guys or so. So I guess, like, you know, after two days of looking at some things, I'd probably say a B if I had to give a Mel Kiper grade on it. So we've been reading your, uh, you did a film study of DeAndre Hopkins' last season, and so obviously a lot of new offensive pieces here. I think uh, the mood that I've seen around the city is excitement about this team and about what they can do offensively, and of course, DeAndre Hopkins tweeted out, uh, all right, no more double teams, I think was what his tweet said. And so I'm just wondering, I mean, how easy do you think it's going to be to uh, fit all these new offensive weapons on the field, and what do you think the impact is going to be on DeAndre Hopkins, who is, you know, one of our flagship players? I think it's kind of one of those deals where they just want to throw a wide net out for this draft and just get guys who are fast and talented and even a little bit of free agency with Lamar Miller too. And, uh, you know, the Keem Hunt roster as well. 
so then they just wanted to bring in talent. And if these guys hit, they hit. If they don't, okay. I mean, they assume full of will. Uh, so I think, and also, you know, Bill Bryan's kind of showed through over the years. He's a very good offensive game planner. He's good at putting guys in good positions to succeed, especially you know, in the offensive side, especially when it comes to skilled players. And one of the things they've kind of lacked is guys who can do anything with the ball in space. When it comes to Hopkins, though, I don't see it changing that much how if he's going to get double team or not. It's like, I think, well, if you put someone next to J.J. Watt, who's also really good at Watt's not going to get double team, Watt's going to get double team no matter what. Andrew Hopkins is going to get double team too. And uh, no matter how fast Will Fuller is or who they have in the slot, they're going to have two guys spying Hopkins and play one-on-one coverage against them. So it's kind of more the other way around where Hopkins is going to open up things for you know, Fuller. He's going to open up things for you know, Miller and Cecil Shorts and Jalen Strong. They're not going to open up things up for him. And I also think, too, you know, when it comes to double teams, Bill Bryan did a great job, like I wrote in that article, uh, just getting him, getting him shots to the ball by putting him in isolation coverage way away on the other side of the field and leaving him in one-on-one situations and running kind of a bunch of mess on the other side of the field and uh, take advantage of those matchups too. So I don't, I think, you know, Hopkins isn't going to see that big of a change in coverage. I don't see these picks affecting him that much. I think Hopkins is going to be more of the person affecting the rookies in this class. Uh, speaking of, uh, you know, the draft classes, uh, this one seems to have focused more on the offense in recent years than than I can remember. And one of the names that sticks out to me is Braxton Miller, who was taken in the third round. I mean, the guy is a freak athlete. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, that spin move against Virginia Tech, uh, you know, that just went viral on ESPN. But he's only spent one year playing wide receiver. He's, you know, he had an illustrious career at quarterback before, you know, going down with the injury uh, to seasons ago where do you see him fitting into this offense and with the Texans last year kind of experimenting with the Wildcat do you see him maybe taking some snaps at the backfield at a, as either a running back or a Wildcat quarterback yeah I think for sure you're gonna see him play some running back and I don't know how much of the Wildcat you're gonna see next year I think they mostly use it just as desperation because they had no buy playing quarterback and so they had put you know, Cecil Schwartz back there at times and you know to not have to have T.J. Yates for the ball so often. But I think if they're going to run it, it would be Miller who's going to do it. I do definitely see him taking some, sh- taking some snaps at running back. Um, he runs really well with a shotgun, too. I think they're kind of – I think he needs to learn how to play wide receiver better because, I mean, I've, if you just look at the numbers, he only had 36 targets last year at, at Ohio State. And um, they just didn't get in the ball wide. And I think it's them as a, as a team, as offense, and really trust and know exactly what to do with him as wide receiver – becomes a consistently running every route and that sort of thing. But I think what Houston will probably do with him is try to use him in kind of different situations, maybe like a table and Austin sort of role, where you'll put him in the backfield, you'll throw him screens, you're trying to get the ball in space, and then hopefully, you know, as he plays more and more wide receiver, he learns how to play the game better and go from there. Brock Osweiler is obviously the X factor. You know, we brought him in as a free agent. He's going to be the guy, the franchise player, and he's got a lot of weapons to work with now. Um, but I, I'm just wondering, how, what have you seen of Brock Osweiler, and, and do you know um, how he's going to be able to uh, work within this offense, or whether you think he's going to be as successful as the amount of money that we're paying him to be? Yeah, I think with Osweiler, you know, last year you're watching him play, and I mean, I thought he was fairly solid. You know, I think there's only really one throw at all that he stuck out, and that was that throw down the, that fade route to Emmanuel Sanders against the Patriots that game they won in overtime uh, in the snow. And that was pretty much what they stuck out. It seemed like a lot of things he did is he played, you know, like Kubiak offense where, you know, Gary Kubiak sets up really easy throws for the quarterback. He did good on rollouts. Um, he's really big in the pocket. And then you start, and then the Texans draft him, and then you start watching more film. 
I started reading some more articles and stuff, and you look at the numbers, and he was really mediocre last year. I mean, he had about he played about as well as Brian Hoyer did, and Hoy, you know, including all the Hoyer's garbage time stats, and he played as well as Tay Bridgewater did last year. We look at you know DVOA and DYAR from Football Outsiders. And then you also start reading some articles and looking at what Sion Faye wrote, who charted every single you know snap thrown from every quarterback last year, and he just showed how high the number of interceptable passes he's thrown too. And you watch Abdullah play, and I mean he seems like a solid guy, and maybe he can. But the thing is, is he seems like he'll be a solid you know average quarterback, like a guy who's capable of play. But the Texans are paying him enough money; they're paying him that much money for him to be Matthew Stafford, Jay Cutler. And so Houston had an option where they could either go on all defense and try to build the best defense in the league and win like that, or try to build a top ten offense to long their defense. And so they've set everything up for Brock Osweiler. And so for Houston to do anything more than just be a you know, first round playoff exit, it's going to be up to Osweiler. And if he can make the leap from you know him at this you know average, you know mediocre level to the Matthew Stafford Jay Cutler level, and if he can do that, then this is going to be a top ten offense. But if he doesn't. Houston's going to be a about like a nine-win team for the next few years, and so when you watch him play, I mean, you can you can see it happening. I think it's more than likely it doesn't, but uh, the potential you know is still kind of there. But I just I don't know. I just see Osweiler kind of being you know like a solid guy. I just don't I don't know if I'll make a leap to you know that Matthew Stafford range though. So personnel all but wrapped up, then you're not expecting any big impact uh, undrafted free agent guys. And so I'm just curious uh, on a holistic level, uh, just based on what you've seen and what you know, what's your projection for this team this season? Is there enough for us in Houston to be excited about, or is this going to be another season of mediocrity and you know maybe a playoff and first-round playoff exit, something of that nature? Yeah, I mean, it's got probably all been coming down to Oswaller because you assume that Houston's going to be a top-10 defense again. Uh, probably they'll probably never get into like the top five range. You know they probably won't be that kind. I guess that elite level defense, but they should be top ten again. And maybe they can make the leap if Clowney makes the leap if he stays healthy enough. But then on offense, it's really just going to depend on you know Osweiler and if he can go from average to you know above average. If he can be a top ten quarterback, then Houston will actually have the opportunity to you know play in AFC AFC championship games to be a potential pseudo contender. But if he doesn't do that, then it's not going to occur. And so I'm not super high on Oswald. I don't know if he's going to – I mean, I think it's more than likely he's not going to be that guy from what I've seen. So I would say they're probably going to be an AFC South contender um, and probably win the division this year. And other than that, I think they'll probably win nine, ten games or so. And it kind of depends on the schedule. But – Really, all kinds going to depend on Oswald this year, though. The Texans brought in another uh, running back this year, Lamar Miller, and they also drafted Tyler Irvin in the fourth round. I mean, he was uh, quite an electric running back at San Jose State. Uh, you posted on the website that he had 13 touchdowns, 1,601 yards on just 294 carries. I mean, he was great out of the backfield, uh, very, very shifty. How do you think he fits into the system, and, and do you see him kind of spelling Lamar Miller a little bit, giving him some relief? Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting about Urban. I was watching him this morning, and he's just—I mean, he's fast. Like he's, you know, he's playing against Sun Belt competition, and um, no, you know, kind of like the—he's not playing the Big Six conferences at all. But I mean, he's obviously the fastest guy on the field. He just jumped out, and then you watch him against Auburn and Oregon State, and even then, he looks up to speed as everybody else, and a little bit faster. And so one thing that's kind of interesting about him is that he looks kind of like similar to the same skill set as Lamar Miller. And so you think you kind of want more of a complimentary back like that goes. But the guy, I think a guy who's similar in the offense probably won't change 
it'd be a little bit worse if Irvin's on the field at all, but it won't be that much different. But, uh, I mean, you're right, he's fast. He makes guys miss in space. He's a good kick returner. Um, he can catch the ball very well, too. And so hopefully this ends, you know, Alpha Blue era in Houston, in Houston because he was the worst running back in the NFL in 2014. He wasn't good last year. And he's a plotter, and everybody says, well, at least he doesn't fumble the ball. And so, like, a very you know, staple human function is his best skill. So hopefully it's a lot of Urban, a lot of Lamar Miller, and they're going to run a lot of spread offenses, uh, four wide receiver sets where they're going to get these guys on space and run a lot inside zone, too, on that. So I like Urban. I think he's going to be really fast. Jake, and I think he'll be kind of a lesser version of Lamar Miller, and they're both really similar kind of players. Yeah, very excited about this uh, Texan season. Uh, it seems like the NFL kind of goes year-round from, you know, the combine to the NFL draft to OTAs to finally getting into preseason camp, but definitely looking forward to seeing how the Texans compete this season. And for those that are interested in following the Texans, I would recommend them going to your website. I mean, it's, it's got a lot of great information, uh, SB Nation and Battle Red Blog, uh, great content. Uh, if you can, just tell our listeners what they can find on Battle Red Blog and also how they can connect with you on social media. Yeah, Battle Red Blog uh, one of the estimation sites, and I feel like, you know, I've been to, you know, some of the other sites who they're playing, and I uh, get links to articles, and I think we're one of the better ones out there, because we, not only do we have Texas stuff, but I've wrote a lot of articles about other teams around the league, I know Fred does as well, too, I think we're a good mix of being up to date with the news, and we're also, we have really good analysis, and we have the time to get those pieces out there. In addition to that, we also use some group articles, that are usually pretty funny, uh, we do a podcast over there that's a good mix of you know, humor and analysis as well, too. So if any Texans news are up to date and all that, and also a lot of the deeper film articles and stats articles that you might not find on any other Texans site, you'll find there. We do a good job with that. Uh, if you want to find us, it's www.dialredblog.com. The Twitter handle is at dialredblog. And then my Twitter handle is at mbw987. And uh, most of the time, I don't put you know, gifts or you know, videos or things like that, but all these more articles on there. And I should have something you know, pretty soon, either on Osweiler or on Nick Martin. And uh, we kind of like this offense because that's what's going to be all about this year. Yeah, great stuff. Definitely go check out Battle Red Blog and also follow Matt on Twitter. But Matt, we definitely appreciate you joining us this week on the Weekly Brew Podcast. And uh, we'll look forward to reading your work as the season approaches. Yeah, thanks for having me on. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. As many of our listeners know, we love local musicians that are Texas-based. And this Thursday, May 5th, our friends Second Lovers are playing a show at the Nightingale Room in downtown Houston. And if you make it out to the show, another band that you'll see is the Austin-based rock band Daniel Eyes and the Vibes. Now joining us on The Weekly Brew to discuss the show is lead singer Daniel Eyes and guitarist Dylan Stevens. Guys, how are you doing this week? We're great, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, surviving the uh, month of rainy weather. (laughs) <laughs> did you guys stay dry i think so i've been I've, we've kind of been um work like before we head out on tour we've been working on some new material and stuff so i, I think the rain has kind of forced us into our creative hibernation now you guys have had you know quite the big year to date uh, you had a debut ep in january you were voted the number two best new austin band at south by southwest the number three rock band by the austin chronicle music awards and you're in the midst of a texas and east coast tour kind of tell us about your journey right now in 2016 and, and what you guys are up to yeah well uh so we released that ep as you said and um kind of just been hitting the pavement here in austin um playing playing the best local shows that we can um with you know some of our favorite bands and um another thing that we're really stoked about is being part of um the uh, 2016 uh, black fret class so for people in houston who might not be aware of what black fret is uh, it's like a it's a local nonprofit that 
um, based on membership, and it gives out grants to local musicians at the end of the year. So um, we've been part of that, and uh, it's it's one of those things that's just another another notch on the belt of kind of being recognized locally. Um, so kind of we're just trying to ride that momentum throughout the end of the year, um, keep recording and um, putting out new material. And uh, I think, yeah, we're super stoked. This is going to be our first tour together, so um, we're hitting the road on Thursday and Houston's the first stop. So, uh, yeah, we're just going to kind of keep riding the wave for the next year or so. Yeah, in, in terms of touring, I mean, you mentioned that this is your first tour. What are the dynamics in terms of preparation and, you know, making sure that your, you know, sets are exactly what you want? I mean, are your sets scripted or are they kind of based on, the, you know, the vibe of the audience or what does that look like? Our sets are pretty um, pretty much set in stone. I mean, we, we've kind of fidget, fidgeted with it um, over the year as far as song placement goes deciding you know what's the best ender and, and opener um, we've had a pretty consistent set um, through the support of the EP um, but we've tinkered it and we've been writing some new songs as well that we're trying to get ready for the road to kind of test them out Miss um, Lehman Houston yeah yeah hopefully I think I think we're gonna pull out a couple new ones in Houston um, and it's really as far as dynamic goes I mean we always want to have kind of a strong opener that's that's the tone that we're here to rock <laughs> and then we kind of get a pretty pretty raucous jam and ender as well just to keep people wanting more when we leave the stage in terms of you guys and your sound you guys formed in 2014 so you've been around for just a few years but you've had a lot of success this year uh, for those that might not be familiar with your work were there any certain uh, musical artists or bands that kind of influenced your sound uh yeah well i think it's What's interesting about the band is that we all come from, like, um, I think slightly different musical backgrounds um, and different parts of the country, too. Like, I'm from, originally from New York, Dylan's from Virginia, Cruz is from Ohio, and our bass player, Russell, is, um, is from Arizona. So we kind of collect, uh, I mean, we're, I guess you could say we're just a rock and roll band, but it's, there's kind of just an interesting twist on it because we're all coming from different, different spaces. But... Um, yeah, I mean, as, terms, as far as musical um, influences go, and Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers is a big one. Uh, we love the Stones. Uh, some modern bands like Dawes, uh, Kurt Vile, we're big uh, police fans. Yeah, we're definitely a, very much an unapologetically like guitar rock band. You know, we're not going to put a lot of subgenres like indie, down tempo, <laughs> acoustic, electronica. We're just we're rock and roll man. If you like like guitars. Also, if you if you enjoy hand claps, we we have a lot of those. Yeah. <laughs> In preparation for this interview, I was going through watching some of your music videos, and visually, uh, some of your music videos are just absolutely stunning. I mean, w what type of process goes into uh, creating those videos, and how important is that for a band in terms of uh, promoting your sound, promoting your product, and you know, just generating the buzz and trying to get people out to your shows? Yeah, um, it's interesting. So. I moved down to, from New York um, like about come, coming up on four years now, and um, when I moved here, the goal was just to find the right guys and you know start a band. Um, but I realized about six months in that nobody was going to be at my shows um, until I met people. So I kind of feel feel back. Uh, the layers and um, and just kind of met people in town until like while I was 
going through different formations of the band and until I found the right one. Um, now we had that, and it was kind of kind of made sense to me to make the first initial impression um, like a big one so that we could kind of just hit the ground running and really like make an impact with our shows and stuff. So I think visual, I mean, I think visuals is especially in today's world where, you know, people release singles or, you know, it's a song gets put out and then, you know, unless you're, unless you're really traveling on, you know, online or on the charts or whatever, it's usually gone like the next day or the next week. So you got to have something that people are going to latch on to. So, I mean, and you know, we love making music videos. So, it was definitely, definitely a priority um, to have it be a strong representation of kind of who we are at the time. Now, again, we mentioned that you guys are playing Thursday night with Second Lovers at the Nightingale Room here in Houston. And, you know, we've spoken with Second Lovers several times. And one of the things that they say about the uh, the Houston music community is it's almost like a family. And they said that, uh, you know, they have great relationships with bands, you know, from all over the state, from College Station, Austin. Now, you guys come from all over the country, but you're based in Austin right now. How would you kind of describe uh, the music scene in Austin, the music scene in Houston, and just the broader music scene in the state of Texas? Well, first of all, let me let me just say that Second Lovers are like they're like the coolest guys. Um, so shout out to them. Um, we definitely agree. <laughs> they, they've been they've been super nice to us, um, so we're really appreciative. And uh, yeah, we're hoping to get them on some on some shows with us in Austin too. Um, but yeah, Dylan, say, Dylan's been here for a while. He could probably yeah. The Austin music scene is very much like focus on just the musicianship and, and the musicians themselves um, for better or for worse. There's not a lot of, you know, quote unquote music business here yet. Um, it's really just super saturated with really fantastic musicians who just want to play, create music. Um, a lot of, a lot of artist owned studios, um, artist owned clubs, you know, and it's it's definitely one of the a double edged sword. Like you can't come come down to Austin and kind of like half ass it and be a you know living room musician. You got to like hit the street hard. And <laughs> there's there's a lot of people playing, so you got to be your your chops really got to be you know top notch to get yourself separate yourself from the crowd. Um, I love I absolutely love the music scene down here. Um, it's definitely been changing, and and you can get really sucked into the kind of mindset of oh it used to be better what's happening now all that kind of stuff but in my opinion it's still it's my favorite place i've played any other towns i've lived in as far as being a musician goes and i mean the the number of cool people i've met just putting out like craigslist ads in this town (laughs) (laughs) you can throw throw a rock man and you'll find find a good musician never you know there's never a lack of people to play with which i think is really important as far as like collaboration and artist development goes. Now, in terms of Thursday night, again, we recommend that everybody go out to the Nightingale Room for your show. What can fans and, uh, you know, people that might be experiencing your music for the first time expect at your show? It's pretty upbeat. Um, We don't have too many slow numbers. Um, And, yeah, I mean, just expect energy. And um, we kind of pride ourselves on hopefully having good songs. So uh, you might walk away with something stuck in your head. And 
Yeah, it's going to uh, literally be the best show you've ever seen. <laughs> we have Daniel Eyes and Dylan Stevens on from the band. Daniel Eyes and the Vibes. And uh, again, you guys released a new EP, Sweet Dreaming, back in January. For those that are interested in uh, finding your work in terms of uh, music or fo- following the band on social media, where can they find you guys? We, we definitely have a strong Facebook page going that you can keep up to date as shows and content. Um We've got we've got a fair amount, as you mentioned previously, of content other than just you know music. We've got a couple of high quality videos of us at the Studio One A and KUTX. Uh, we've got two music videos that we're pretty proud of as well. So you can find us on the YouTube and the Instagrams and the Facebook and Spotify. Yeah, so definitely go check them out on social media. Again, they play Thursday night at the Nightingale Room in downtown Houston. But Daniel, Dylan, we definitely appreciate you guys taking the time out and joining us on the podcast this week. Hey, thanks for talking to us, man. We appreciate it. Closing time. I had a blast this episode. Uh, you know, we were able to talk NFL draft, which it, it seems, you know, kind of something that we need to talk about because the Astros right now are just absolutely struggling. Uh, and so the city of Houston just had to focus and turn and look to the NFL draft. And I thought the Texans uh, did a pretty remarkable job. They definitely focused on offense, focused on speed. And uh, we definitely thank Sean Pendergast and uh, Matt Weston for joining us on the podcast this week. And uh, also, we want to thank uh, the band Daniel Eyes and the Vibes for joining us. Go ahead and check them out Thursday night at the Nightingale Room here in downtown Houston. But I'm curious, what did y'all think of this week's episode? Sean Pendergast, uh, thanks for joining us, Sean. That was terrific. He was, uh, I mean, if anything, better than I could have expected. He's one of my favorites on the radio. I love listening to him. I'm sure a lot of our listeners listen to Sports Radio 610 as well. But uh, as funny off the cuff as anyone we've ever had, and uh, certainly an interesting perspective on the whole of the draft, since he was right in the thick of it covering it um, for Sports Radio 610. So great work. And then Matt Weston always does good work over at Battle Red Blog, uh, sort of a, a draft genius uh, or a draft connoisseur. I don't know what you describe him as, but he's uh, he does great work. And we love following them over at Battle Red Blogs. So we certainly recommend you do that as well. Yeah. Yeah, they put in a lot of great content. I mean, everything down from like breaking plays, to breaking down plays, film, that sort of thing, uh, to analyzing the draft. It's it's definitely your one stop shop for uh, Texans news, and I definitely encourage going out there. But Sean Pendergast, my gosh, he was hilarious. I think he was probably the funniest person that we've had on the podcast since Chris Grismer back in the back in the fall. Who, if you don't remember, Chris Grismer does the voiceovers for our show. He also did some impressions, and if you haven't heard that, go back and look in the archives. It's uh, great content. But uh, Jeremy Dolores, what did y'all two think of the episode? You guys have already covered it, the the Sean thing. I, I really huge thanks for him coming on the show. I really liked his commentary on the Texans. Um, really pleased with their draft picks overall this year. And um, yeah, definitely head over to uh, Battle Reg Blog to check out their analysis um, of our draft this year. Um, I also really intrigued by how cloak and dagger the baking industry is. I will be heading over to Sorry. We Desserts to try um, their version of. Uh, the treats that were stolen. So really intense, um, almost as intriguing as the draft to me personally. I uh, really enjoyed this episode, but unlike Jeremy, I was not really pleased with the Texans draft picks. Really? Yeah, but I'm really biased. You're rooting for Baylor people. Yeah, I'm rooting for Baylor people. I wanted Corey Coleman to come to the Texans. But this was a great episode. I really enjoyed it. So I don't think you can be mad at the Texans for not taking Corey Coleman because Corey Coleman went number 15 overall and the Texans drafted 21. So I, I don't think you can be mad at them for that. I thought they overall did pretty well. I, I'm still not sold on uh, Fuller as the wide receiver. I think that you know maybe a guy like Josh Doxson would have been uh, a good choice. But uh, definitely encouraged overall. And hold on, Dolores is trying to actually grab the mic from me. I guess she wants the Texans to trade up. Doxson from TCU? Are you actually cheering for a TCU player? 
I'm not cheering, but I'm looking at a guy who's a phenomenal athlete. <laughs> like, like when it comes to the Texans in the NFL, I don't care what school you went to. I just want you to play well in the offense. I mean, there are several guys that uh, play for the Texans for, you know, schools that I don't like that, you know, do well. For example, Shane Leckler, punter. I mean, he's a Texas A&M Aggie, but he's he's probably a Hall of Fame punter. I mean, I'm not going to dislike the guy because he went to Texas A&M. I can still despise the university. I'm not going to hang out with him, though. I'm not going to hang out. But I'm rooting for him as a Texan. Exactly. But, uh, you know, speaking of people that we want to hang out with, we want to hang out with people that enjoy the podcast, right? And this week we actually had... <laughs> it's an interesting segue because it sounds like we now are offering to hang out with people that write us reviews. And I got to be honest with you, I would do that. If you wanted to hang out with us and you wrote us a review, I think that we would probably accept that as fair trade. So, um, But yeah, we have been exhorting listeners to write reviews on the iTunes page because as I've explained ad nauseum in prior episodes, those reviews help us show up in people's searches. They make us appear more popular. People will click on us, listen to us. It's really great for us to have those reviews. And uh, we certainly appreciate hearing your feedback as well. And this is the, the best way to leave feedback would be an iTunes review. And uh, so we did have one this week uh, from Puppet Cartel, which these iTunes names are always really interesting. Mine is embarrassing. Mine is K-Dog Infinity, I think, because I did it when I was in like sixth grade. So my AIM screen name, my iTunes screen name, my original email that I used years ago, K-Dog Infinity. So if you have some reason to look me up on iTunes, uh, you could do that. So these names are always interesting. Puppet Cartel. No idea what that means, but I love it. And I want to hear the story behind it. Great podcast representing Houston with exclamation marks. Five stars. The Weekly Brew is one of my favorite podcasts. As a Houstonian, it is exciting to see a crew of broadcasters create a podcast focused on sports and current events in our city. And it's clear they do their research in advance of each interview. Um, not always true. I'm glad to hear that that's the impression. But And the production quality is top notch. Those are great things to brag about, by the way. Keep up the great work. Puppet Cartel, this week, you are the listener of the week. And if you wanted to hang out, we would hang out with you. Just, um, I don't know, hit us up. We have another way to hit us up. Facebook, email, there's all kinds of ways. Just get in touch with us. And we, uh, we'll do anything you want, really, for these reviews. We need them. I, I don't know if our desperation is as much as Kevin insisted it is, but you can't, <laughs> yeah, but you can definitely find our work on a uh, weekly brewcast. Just search weekly brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on YouTube. And you can also find our work on weeklybrewcast.com. We post all of that there each Monday. And uh, if you actually subscribe to our website, weeklybrewcast.com, each time our podcast is posted, it pushes right to your inbox. So you get that right away. Highly recommend it. Uh, but we had a fun episode this week. Uh, we had some great coverage on the NFL draft. Again, we had Matt Wesson from Battle Red Blog. We had Sean Pendergast from Sports Radio 610, who was hilarious, great guest. Also, we had the guys from Daniel Eyes and the Vibes, who again play Thursday night at the Nightingale Room here in Houston, Texas. Go ahead and check them out. They're friends of uh, Second Lovers, who we've had on the podcast several times. Uh, but we had a fun time this week, and uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode as well. And for my co-hosts this week, Kevin Cook, Jeremy Paxson, and Dolores Lozano, my name is Austin Statton. We'll see you next week. And guys, remember, no matter where you are, who you are, what you do this week, always brew responsibly. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 